people pray. Um, I don't know if you ever really thought about it like this, but it's actually a global phenomenon. Like right around the world, virtually every people group everywhere pray. In fact, when we think about certain people groups, quite often the first image that comes to my mind at least are pictures of them at prayer. So the, in Jerusalem is the, um, the Western Wall. It's the Western Wall of the first century temple that was destroyed by the Romans uh, at the end of the first century. And uh, Jews will men, Jewish men only allowed in there pray up against that wall, kind of the closest they can get to the temple. There's another picture there of some men um, praying at the Western Wall. It's quite a fascinating experience to go there and pray. Um, today, Jewish people pray. Uh, Muslims pray, a typical picture of Muslims. Men bowed, kneeling in the, um, uh, in the posture of prayer, uh, seeking God. Uh, Buddhists pray, Hindus pray. Uh, these pictures, classic pictures that go around the world of, of, of sort of snapshot of those cultures. I would even argue uh, that atheists will often issue a wish that can only be answered by a divine entity. Um, okay, like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't call it prayer if you don't, you know, but, but I think often we find ourselves, and whether it's the foxhole, God, help me, which sometimes is one of the most passionate and effective prayers we can pray, or whether it's something that is more informed, people pray, and, the, and, and Jesus, when he begins teaching about prayer, is not speaking into a void. He's speaking to people who pray. It's one of the reasons why, as we kind of continue through the Sermon on the Mount this morning, um, he brings some correction uh, because of the nature of the world in which he lived. Uh, the Jewish culture prayed. They prayed a lot. They prayed a lot. Um, uh, some well-established practices of prayer, some specific uh, regiments about what to pray, how to pray, where to pray, when to pray, what direction to pray when you're praying. Um, the people around the Jewish culture of Jesus' day prayed. Uh, the Greeks, Romans, uh, the pagan uh, world that was there had practices concerning prayer. And so Jesus, it's not surprising that Jesus brings some, some instruction into a world where people pray. So we're going to pray. Uh, we've prayed already this morning. We've, we're going to begin with prayer. We're going to proceed with prayer. We're going to conclude with prayer. That would be a model that I would encourage you to engage every day. That you'd begin your day with prayer. That you would proceed through your day with a, with a prayerful attitude. Uh, that, you would, uh, that you would conclude your days with prayer. Maybe even within your day, you'd begin a project or an assignment with prayer and proceed through that project or assignment with prayer and conclude it with prayer. We, we become people of prayer. Jesus is calling us to pray. This morning, effectively, is a call to prayer. It's a call for, for God's people to be intent and persistent in being people of prayer. And the good news is that Jesus brings instruction to us. So, Lord Jesus, as we begin even this part of this morning with prayer, we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us to pray? Would you visit us this morning? And those who, who understand this really, really well, may they find new and fresh encouragements. And for the, the person who says, do you know what? I'm really glad you're talking about this because I really don't feel like I know how to pray. May we receive your instruction together here this morning. We ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Jesus brought instruction on prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, we've been in this for the past few weeks, begins Matthew chapter 5. Just before that, 
Matthew tells us that Jesus had been out on a, a ministry tour, predominantly in Galilee, and people were hearing and responding. They loved his teaching. Uh, he was healing people, and crowds would gather. We get to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew tells us the crowds were gathering, and then Jesus sat down to teach his disciples. So that's the setting. His disciples are the ones specifically being taught with the crowds gathering around. And the Sermon on the Mount begins chapter 6 with, with these we refer to them as the Beatitudes, these uh, eight statements of blessing which Jesus speaks over his disciples. And effectively he's saying, look, others may see the world differently, but I want you to see the world the way I see the world. Uh, You are blessed when you depend on God, when you live for God, and even when you experience persecution because of God, because of me, Jesus says. Beatitudes, eight of them, eight blessings. And then he follows that up with seven commands, uh, which we've looked at just a couple of weeks ago. And it's in those that I think we first really start to say, hang on a minute here. This sounds kind of reminiscent. And we begin to recognize that Matthew has been intentional about forming the telling of the Jesus story in his gospel by making allusions to, the, to Moses, the Old Testament prophet. And this is kind of the first place where it's like, huh? Oh. Um, Moses went up Mount Sinai to meet with God. Jesus goes up this mount, Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, actually sits in a little amphitheater type of thing. You can, you can visit it today um, in order to, that his voice would be heard. Um, Moses was preparing the first people of God to go into the land, into the promised land, and be the people of God there. We talked about that last year through the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Jesus is preparing his disciples, the new people of God, for the kingdom of God, this reign and rule of God to become citizens of this new land. How are we going to do that? How are we going to live that out? Jesus is preparing this. Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Jesus comes down the mountain or comes to the people with seven commands. Ten Commandments, seven commands. Um, There's there's these parallels that are going on, and Matthew's very intentional about this. And so with that in mind, then, we come to Matthew chapter 6, and we say, well, how does this relate to that? How does this teaching, which we started into it last week on um, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. That's straight out of the text if you read chapter 6. Last week he talked about giving. Um, How do these things relate to um, the the earlier part in in this sermon? It relates in this way. Jesus has been giving instruction on how we're going to live as children of the kingdom. How are we going to live now that we have begun to follow uh, Jesus? Now that we've left, in his disciples' case, the fishing nets and these other things, and said, I'm going to be all about Jesus. How are we going to live? And and he's been making the point that that we're going to be distinct. We're we're going to stand out as different. We're going to think differently. Um, You're blessed when you mourn. When you mourn, how is that? Uh, We're going to think differently. We're going to see the world through the eyes of Jesus differently, and it's going to result in us being distinct in our world. And we're going to pray differently. We're going to give differently. Talked about that last Sunday. We're going to pray differently. Um, Matthew chapter 6 records Jesus turning to three common practices that a pious, uh, faithful Jewish person would observe. The practice of giving, the practice of praying, and the practice of fasting. Um, 
And, and at the very center of this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the very center of this is the Lord's Prayer that we come to this morning. And when I say the very center, I mean literally. In the Greek, there are 116 lines that precede this and 114 lines that follow. It's not accidental. Matthew is pointing to the high point of the Sermon of Jesus, making sure that we get this. This is important. Prayer is fundamental. It's significant. This is serious stuff. Um, it's unthinkable that a genuine follower of Jesus um, would not be one who's giving sacrificially, who's praying persistently, uh, who's fasting regularly. And so we come to start, we begin to recognize this is kind of Christianity 101. This is kind of, how do I be a follower of Jesus, kind of right at the very heart of it, and Jesus brings instruction for us on, on praying. So I'm going to read it for you. Why don't we stand together? It will be on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version. Uh, from Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 5 through 15 um, as we read together this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it this morning and apply it, live by it. You may be seated. Jesus is calling you to pray. This is a call to prayer this morning. And he gives us four instructions. If you've got your sermon notes in the, in the bulletin, I'd encourage you to pull them out, jot a few things down as we're going along. Jesus brings four specific points of instruction to us concerning how to pray. Number one, pray to be heard and not seen. Secondly, pray thou requests. Pray thou requests. Third, pray us requests. And then the fourth point that I'd make this morning is, is make forgiveness central. Make forgiveness central. This prayer is big stuff. This is huge for the life of the believer. Listen to what some people of faith throughout the history of Christianity have had to say about this. Charles Spurgeon, late 1800s, a Baptist preacher, very effective man of God. Uh, he said, true prayer is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Now think about that for a minute. You don't get any higher up in the food chain than that. A spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance, he said, prayer is the link that connects us to God. 
That sounds pretty vital, pretty important. Martin Luther, uh, Reformation, late 1400s, he, he wrote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. George Herbert, scholar, writes, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. I like that. That's pretty practical. The key of the day and the lock of the night. Henry Nouwen, um, uh, this century uh, scholar, uh, philanthropist, um, activist, um, he wrote, prayer is the most concrete way to make our home in God. Frederick Bruner uh, writes a commentary called The Christ Book. Um, and he, he says the following. He says, the Lord's Prayer is the first creed. Okay, so a creed would be those statements which Christians agree together to be fundamental. He says, this is the first creed which unites the Holy Catholic Church all over the world. I share the faith of the universal church that as simple Christians... In all the churches, on all seven continents, learn to pray the Lord's Prayer simply, briefly, day after day. The Father hears and acts to change the world. Now those are weighty statements about the significance of prayer. And as I read through Jesus' words on prayer, my first blush would be to say, well, does he really think it's actually all that important? Because he kind of keeps bringing correction here. He says in verse 1, chapter 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Okay, um, what does that mean? Um, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Um, in verse 5, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And you say, well, if I'm not going to pray in the synagogue or at church, where else am I going to pray? Um, verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. And we start to say, well, what's going on here? And, and, and that's why I started by saying Jesus is not preaching into a void. He's speaking into a world that prays. And he's needing to bring some correction in order that we would understand this rightly and receive his instruction. So the first, the first point of coaching that Jesus brings, is this idea that prayer is to be heard, not seen. So to set up the context a little bit, uh, the Jewish community at the time of Jesus prayed a lot. Um, multiple times per day, highly structured prayers, what to say, how to, pr how to say it, where to say it from, what direction to be facing when you, when, when you prayed it. When the shofar would sound, so the shofar ram's horn hollowed out to be kind of a trumpet-like device, when the shofar would sound, it would call people to prayer. Um, and so you would stop wherever you were, and if you could kind of maneuver yourself to be on a street corner in a place of prominence, well, people would see that you've assumed a posture of prayer in that place. The shofar sounds, and you went running off to the local synagogue or to the temple. It would be obvious that you're serious about prayer. And in that culture, that was a good thing. Like, I'm not going to be the lackey who causes God to bring judgment on our nation again for lack of my prayer. I'm doing my part. See, I'm on the street corner praying. See, I'm running to the synagogue. I'm running to the temple praying. In that culture, this was a good thing because we were doing our part. That's Jesus speaking into the, Greco, into the Jewish culture. He's also speaking into the Greco-Roman culture, the popular culture around the people, the children of Israel in, the, in that day, the people of Israel. They generally believed that you needed to make a big fuss in order to get the God's attention. They're busy, they're apathetic, they're really not all that interested in what's going on down here, so you're, you know, flatter them. 
Um, uh, pray long, you know, eloquent prayers that are going to get their attention and would yield their results. Um, there, there was kind of one school of thought, one group that, that thought if you babble long enough, they'll get so sick of hearing you, they'll finally respond to your prayers. This was the Greco-Roman world of the pantheon of gods and the way that they thought about the world. So Jesus is speaking some instruction into a very diverse world when he brings this instruction concerning prayer. And so to the Roman world, to the Greco-Roman world, world, he'd say, look, God actually wants to hear your prayer. He wants to listen. He wants to be responsive to you. He is already predisposed to you. If you will engage with him, if you'll slow down and speak to him, he wants to be in conversation with you. To the, to the Jewish culture specifically, he would say, look, there's a couple of things you're not getting quite right. And, and these upside down sayings of Jesus, he, he, he turns it on its ear again turning it completely upside down. You see, social approval in the ancient Near East, the Mediterranean world, was an unquestioned good in that culture. Unquestionably good is that you would seek to be honored for your good deeds, your good work, your good behavior, what you would do. It would be accepted and it would be expected that you would be lauded, you would be praised, you'd be appreciated for the good things you're doing, for the, 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 it's, it's evident. So to make sure that you saw how good I am would be a noble thing in that culture. Um, when it came to the top honor of obeying the law in Jewish culture, the top honor of obeying the law, nobody did it better than the Pharisees. We tend to kind of read a Western way of thinking into the Pharisees and scribes and all that stuff that Jesus brings correction on. It wasn't so much that they sort of pushed themselves into a place of prominence, lording their prominence over others. The culture actually encouraged them to that place because of their piety. That's a man of prayer. He's someone who's serious about Scripture. Nobody knows Bible better than those guys. Um, this is what would push them to the place of prominence. Jesus is not just correcting the Pharisees and the scribes when he, when he brings correction to them, as he's already done. We've already read about this. He, he's also correcting this honor game that is present in that culture. And we might say, wow, what a messed up culture. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Except Jesus is getting at a condition of the human heart, a, a sickness in the human heart, where we long for the affirmation of the people around us. Uh, we long to be approved. We long that our, 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 our efforts would be acknowledged, would be appreciated, would be recognized. This is common. Add to that modern culture, social media, what's going on about social media. I'm not trying to get at anybody. I, I love social media. I'm on many platforms. But, but, but we want to hear the words of Jesus in light of our culture here and the things that are going on, do we not? And so in verse 1 of chapter 6, when Jesus said, if you practice your righteousness for the purpose of being seen by others, that's all the reward you're going to get. Verse 4, verse 5, he's effectively saying, don't be hypocritical, saying that you're going after God, but really you're after social approval. Okay, that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And so Jesus is coaching. Pray to be heard by God, not seen by others. And maybe you say, well, how am I supposed to do that? Like, how am I even supposed to pray then if that's the case? Like, I go to life group and they invite me to pray together in my life group. 
Uh, uh, this morning, you know, Sundays, pastors, elders pray in public. Is, is Jesus criticizing that practice of public prayer? Um, you know, Pastor Terry, you're probably going to invite us to pray the Lord's Prayer sometime this morning since you're preaching on it already, and you'd be right in that assumption, I am. How do we even do that together? And Jesus would acknowledge, look, there's, it's a little bit tricky here because of the, the, the way our society is set up, the way humanity is. But in verse 6, he addresses it specifically. He says, when you pray, remember he's speaking to his disciples, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in other words, prayer, these practices of prayer need to start on the inside and work their way out. Um, this is so, not something that we put on. It's not a practice we put on that suggests that we are walking with God. It's a practice we begin, that we seed in, in, in a quiet place that then begins to grow righteousness in us. It begins to grow out from the inside and begin to grow into healthy ways that aren't hypocritical at all because they come from a place that begins with God. So this is where Jesus then gets really practical and super helpful to us but in this. So, so those are the warnings, and then he gives some specific instructions. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we say, hang on a minute here. Okay, so Jesus is instructing us in two categories. This is the, the thou category. Pray thou requests. God-focused requests. Um, acknowledge God's rightful place in our world and in our lives. Our Father in heaven, this is verse 9, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's maybe the first half of the prayer. This prayer is made up of six petitions, six requests that are made, seven, depending on how you want to count them. The first three, no matter how you count them, the first three are all about God. They're all about his name being revered and recognized in our world, acknowledged as holy. It's all about his kingdom coming, his reign, his rule, his will, as opposed to mine, right? His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven on earth. Uh, and, and, um, NLT uh, uh, it says it this way. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so rather than, than beginning with the concerns about myself and the needs that I have, I want to begin with my concerns about him and the desires that he has for my world, for my life, in my, in my situation. And I'm realizing, I've been realizing as I've been studying this, that this is actually more difficult than I thought. I would have thought that I'd been paying attention to this, but over the course of this past week, I've been kind of examining my own prayer life, realizing that this is actually a point I don't do very well, all the time at least. So, so Anne and I, uh, my wife Anne, we, we, we typically pray together most mornings, um, kind of first thing. And so typically it's something like, uh, good morning, Lord. Um, thank you for the good night's sleep that we've had. Thank you for this home that keeps us warm and protected. And thank you. And kind of goes on then, and we, we pray together. Um, most mornings, I drive Christy to the bus. Um, and we pray together as we're driving. Eyes open, uh, but we're driving. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's something like, you know, uh, Lord... Thank you for this new day. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you for Brant Christian School, where she goes to school. So here, 
Those are thank you prayers, which are good prayers, good prayers, attitude of gratitude, super important for us as followers of Jesus. But a thankful prayer is not a worshipful prayer, essentially. You see, the thanks is thank you for the things you're doing in me, about me. A praise prayer, a worship prayer proper is about him. It's about what he is doing. It's about his greatness. It's about his holiness being seen. It's about his kingdom coming among us, his reign and his rule. It's about his will being done before I ever get to the subject of my will and the things that I think need to be done. That's a fairly significant balancing thing. Um, Maybe to put a finer point on it, um, if, if you did something nice for me and I thank you for that, Uh, That's a different thing than me praising you. Um, That work that you're doing in our community, it's a really beautiful work. Um, I see Jesus increasingly in you. It's a wonderful thing to see. Do do you you kind of get the difference between the the thank you and the praise you? Maybe this is helpful too. There's an interesting kind of parallel here between the words of Jesus and the words of Moses, this prayer and and, and the words of Moses. Uh, Jesus begins with these first three prayers being about God. The first three of the Ten Commandments are about God. Uh, We talked about this over the past year. The first three are about God's rights. The next seven are about human rights. Um, The the first three, you may recall, uh, have no other gods before me. It's all about God. Uh, Don't make idols, no graven images. Um, and don't misrepresent my name. Um, uh, don't misuse God's name. First three, they're all about God, all about him. And, and so there's kind of these parallels. There's this reminiscence that's present in the pages of Scripture. And this invitation at the beginning of our prayer to make it God-focused, the thou requests that we would make. But then there's this invitation to, to the us request. It's not that God doesn't want to hear our petitions. It's, it's this invitation to speak those petitions, those needs. And they're super practical as well. However, there's a catch You begin with the us requests. In order to make them, it requires a humility that is not always forthcoming in our society. I have to begin by acknowledging I have a need that I cannot meet. And there is one who can meet them. So uh, give us today our daily bread. Well, anyone here genuinely concerned that the basic needs of your life won't be net? Don't put your hand up because I know there are a couple of you. Um, most of us know that there's going to be water, there's going to be shelter, there's going to be food on my table. Maybe it's not fancy food, but I'm not going to starve. These are basic needs, and he's inviting us in humility to acknowledge he is the provider. And so we pause, and we say, give us today our daily bread. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to assume that it's just coming. I'm acknowledging you are my provider. Uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I need forgiveness, and I need to give forgiveness. We're going to come back to this idea in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but... but It's that word debts that I think is worth exploring just a little bit. I think the ancient world got this a little bit clearer than you and I as modern Westerners are inclined to get it. They understood that a sin always created a debt. And it was always with at least two people. It was a debt 
to God, and it was a debt to those who were impacted by my sin. Now, there's no such thing as a sin that has no victims. No such thing. Um, uh, there is always consequence. Uh, and, and so if I stole from you, for instance, um, I would have violated a commandment with God. So there's a debt that I owe him. Um, you're out whatever it was I took. So I have a debt with you as well. Um, sin incurs a deficit that is there. And, and Jesus is inviting us to recognize that the first place to begin is with him. Forgive Forgive us our sins. The NLT, give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. We'll come back to that nature of forgiveness in just a minute. Let me just go on to this next line first. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This is acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that, that, number one, the sin that I've been forgiven from, there continues to be temptation that threatens me, so help me in the midst of that. There are real temptations in this world that could be my undoing, and in humility I'm coming and saying, and saying I need your help with this, God. The second part then, uh, which is either the second half of the sixth request or it's a seventh request, acknowledges the evil one. It acknowledges that we are living in a broken world where we have an adversary who is working against God's purposes, and we're saying, God, I need your help with this. There's a battle going on here, and I am acknowledging um, that, that I, I need your weapons. I need your power and your strength in order to stand in the face of this. The Apostle Peter tells us, 1 Peter 5, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So these are the us requests. They get partnered and paired with the thou requests so that they're in balance. But then Jesus comes again to this subject about forgiveness in this call to prayer. And effectively saying, look, make forgiveness central to your experience. Now, now, now to defend that sort of an assessment of this, let me, let me do this. Quick recap, Gospel of Matthew. Ma Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 through 28, Matthew recounts five discourses of Jesus, five major pieces of teaching from Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is the first of those, of those discourses. Central to the Sermon on the Mount is... The Lord's Prayer, 16, 116 lines before, 114 lines after. It's at the very center. Twice in the Lord's Prayer instruction, Jesus calls us to this matter of forgiveness. Forgiveness becomes central to our ability to pray, central to our experience as a follower of Jesus. Remember, this is Christianity 101. And it's and, and central because that's the starting point of my relationship with God, is recognizing that I have a, a, a sin debt problem, and he is the only one who could make it right, and that it has incurred a problem in our world and the brokenness of our world. And again, he is the only one who can make this right. I need his forgiveness, and then I'm going to have to walk out of that forgiveness, giving forgiveness to those around us. I must receive it. I must give it. These are his words, verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And clearly, this is a big deal. Receiving and giving forgiveness is central to who I am as a follower of Jesus. Who are you? I am forgiven. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other wonderful things that are said to be said about us as, a, as, as you're a child of God, you are loved, uh, the, the ton of beautiful, beautiful statements. But at the very center of those statements is, who am I? I am forgiven. 
This becomes the defining point of my life. What do you do? I pass it on. I walk out that forgiveness with the people around me. If you've ever struggled with the question, am I genuinely saved? This, this is the litmus test, friends. Can you acknowledge that you have been forgiven your sin? Are you increasingly able to walk giving forgiveness to others around you? Um, uh, this is what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. This is the tell. Now, maybe you say, hang on a minute, Pastor. What, how, how, do I, how do I receive forgiveness? How do I, how do I do this? You believe in Jesus and turn to the Lord. You believe in Jesus and turn to the Lord. That's what it means to be in relationship with with the Father. I, I believe, I trust that Jesus is capable of addressing this sin debt problem that we're describing. I trust him, I believe him. But it can't just be an intellectual acknowledgement. It also must be a putting that into action. So my trust then becomes this act of in humility saying, I confess that my sin has separated from me. I'm, I'm agreeing with you, God, that my sin has separated me from you. This is your assessment, your right and accurate assessment of my life. And, and, and in acknowledging that, I am choosing to turn and walk you. I'm believing in Jesus. I'm turning to the Lord. I'm, I'm going to begin walking in the Jesus way. I'm going to follow you. Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited to confess Jesus and to begin to walk in his way, to receive his forgiveness and then walk in the giving out of that forgiveness. As the, as the mandate of our lives. There's so much more I could talk about forgiveness, so much more that needs to be said. I did speak on this subject back in the spring. If you've got additional questions about, well, what does that mean and how do I live that out and, and what does it not mean, um, May 20th, um, look up that sermon on our website. I, I, I'd be pleased for you to re- review that. And, and, and if you still have questions, let's talk more. Jesus is calling us to pray, calling us to be people of prayer. And he gives these four instructions. Pray to be heard, not seen. Uh, Begin with thou requests. Move on to us requests and and make forgiveness central to your seeking of God. I want to invite the worship team to come because as I promised already, we're going to practice this together. I'd like you to, I'd like to have a bit of an idea of how you could do this. In fact, I'm going to just issue this this challenge to you. And that is that, that every day this week, you'd pray the Lord's Prayer, maybe using it as a springboard to kind of amplify your words. So we're going we're to do that right now. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a line of the Lord's Prayer. Let's all stand together. I'm going I'm to give you a line from the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm going to pause, and I'm going to let you customize that. Put it into your own words. Um, how could you amplify those words? Uh, on this very first one, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm going to use New, New Living Translation because uh, I think it'll be helpful this morning. Uh, but, but if I use the Old English, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How do I hallow his name? How do I make his name holy? <laughs> um, I run out of words real fast until I open the Psalms. And all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of wonderful examples there of words I can use that, that, that hallow his name, which declare his name to be holy. So, so that's just a little tip before we pray. Um, 
Let me also say this. You maybe noticed this as we were going through this. Did you notice the corporate nature of the words, the us nature of the words? Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our sins. And then Jesus turns around and says, you should pray this in your closet. You should pray this when you go into your room. There's this acknowledgement that sin is not just about me. Um, the world is not just about me. We are in this together. And so it's appropriate for me to pray the, that kind of language, the inclusive kind of language when I'm by myself and when we're together. One last point before we pray, and that would be this. Um, we're going to do this corporately, publicly, together. And yet there's a private and personal dimension to this as you speak to God. And that's part of the invitation for us as we come to prayer. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will just kind of remind you of this this week as, as you would maybe every day you take that challenge, put it in your iPod or in your, your smartphone or something. Uh, and, and, and every day, pray the Lord's Prayer. This is from the New Living Translation. Um, this then is how you should pray. Let's us pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let's pause there. You put in some own words just from your heart. Speak them to God. Holy, holy, holy. Yes, Lord. Together. May your kingdom come soon. Pause. His reign and rule in your life, in your world. More, Lord. More, Lord. Together. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, Lord God. Not mine, not other people's, yours. Heaven on earth, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Together. Give us today the food we need. What are the needs that you have? Fill them in. Maybe it's a long list. Give it all to them. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been prompting you about a sin. Confess that now quietly in your heart to him. Together. And don't let us yield to temptation. Why don't you list those temptations, those things that are inclined to trip you up. Rescue us from the evil one. And then if you'd attend to the screen, let's add this traditional ending, which is a wonderful ending, just probably not in the original. For the kingdom is yours, the power is yours, the glory is yours, forever and ever. 